Hello, my name is Andrew Walker. Today we're kicking off a brand new podcast series, Managing Your Microsoft Digital Solution. And here to tell us more about it is my co-host, David Crouch. David, good to have you on board. Tell our listeners why we're launching this new podcast. Andrew, the reasons are simple. It's been clear for some time that Microsoft is releasing and upgrading a number of products across multiple application domains when it is clear that these products work best interacting all together. Microsoft keeps evolving their vision and their marketing around the digital solution, digital transformation concept. So we decided after their Digital Forward event to start a podcast series dealing specifically with this idea. We want this to be the flagship of our podcasts. And they do seem to be announcing new ideas and vision frequently. So what is the purpose of this podcast? Our main objective is to keep decision makers and influencers and business organizations properly apprised of what is possible digitally from a Microsoft perspective and what Microsoft tools and platforms are ready for implementation and which ones aren't. Our focus at ITK is on ensuring that business enterprises using IT are making the best possible decisions and getting a top return on their IT dollar. Sounds great. What are we going to be covering? Well, Andrew, on a monthly basis, we're going to have several different segments. In each episode, after quickly reviewing recent Microsoft news, we'll discuss what being digital really means. We will have one feature product review as well as several mini reviews. We know that clients and prospects who, let's face it, spend their time on their business on analyzing every technology release, want to know when they should pay attention to a new or upgraded product. We will also visit our experiences from the front line of our client projects in order to deal with important business management of IT issues. That's the core of it, but we will add other topics that seem timely and relevant. So without any further ado, let's get right to it with this episode's news. So what has happened of interest to Microsoft customers and prospects this month, David? Well, Andrew, last Wednesday, they had a big event called Business Forward. It's really just the announcement of the spring release of Dynamics 365, but uh, they turned it into uh, something much bigger, flew people into New York and, and had it publicly broadcast, and us implementation partners got to preview some of the uh, information that was being disseminated the week before. But it stimulated me to think about uh, kicking off this uh, new podcast series. It seemed to strike a note with me because we as a company and many of our uh, clients and prospects are struggling to do something more than just put in a new business app or improve uh, their productivity um, with Office. I think we're all trying to grope our way to something that... Uh, I'll term digital solutions. So is some of this just marketing on Microsoft's side? Yeah, Andrew, of course it is. You know, um, they're really uh, focusing on it. And that's why I say it. it was really just the spring release of Dynamics 365, which doesn't even come out in the spring. Actually, it's now in July the 1st. But I think that they've realized by combining and refining from the different realms of software that they possess that they can actually help clients affect digital transformation. So they had quite a bit of talk at the event, especially uh, Nadella gave a great talk. Um, and the post-event comment uh, has been commenting about uh, what is digital transformation, what are digital solutions, and so on. 
Specifically, what did they announce? Well, there's a lot of details. And in one of our related blogs that'll come out within a day or two of this, uh, we'll have links to the details. But uh, for decision makers, business decision makers who want to know what are the key points, let me quickly summarize them. If you're working with Microsoft, it's clear that it's going to take them at least 24 months to get to where they want to go. And we all need to understand that and react advisedly. Some of what they're going to do will work and some of it won't. Some of the software, when it's released, it won't be ready. Some of it will. They're going to be publicizing a 24-month public vision, which along with the product roadmaps, gives everybody a clear picture of what is coming. I actually think that these are great for clients because you can actually determine whether you should customize or wait for a feature. It's really great. There's a big leverage off of the uh, LinkedIn purchase, and that's not surprising. The first one is the relationship sales solution that really connects LinkedIn to sales. I think that this is going to really work well. And it's going to be very useful to sales organizations everywhere. It gives them a bit of a leg up on salesforce.com. The other one related to LinkedIn is, of course, Dynamics 365 for talent. Obviously, people are using LinkedIn. I'm sure half the people are using it for uh, you know, recruiting or finding new jobs and, and stuff. So it's, it's no great imagination to say that they're going to put something together. They talked about this being the first part of an important move into business applications for human capital. And that's all well and good. And I think they're onto something, but I expect that the uh, Dynamics 365 for talent application probably is not going to be quite ready when released. Lots of changes and improvements in the former AX part of Dynamics 365, particularly for retail. This was already a strong suit of uh, AX and having it as a separate solution is going to be important for medium and large size retail organizations. To me though, the rest of the announcements were tuning and refining, such as refining and simplifying the team member licenses. They're making some simple improvements to the customer engagement user interface. Now customer engagement is the old CRM piece and they're making a host of other small changes. By the way, the roots of Dynamics 365 have been allowed to show again. That strikes the right balance to them. But in this release and in forthcoming ones, they are making more and more integrations across the three source platforms that make up Dynamics 365. So Andrew, to me, those are the key takeaways. David, thanks for that update. Next up, Digital Solutions. Welcome back. Time for a regular segment on digital solutions. David, to start with, what are digital solutions? Andrew, that is the million dollar question. And at some level, I'm not sure anybody really knows. There's no standard and agreed upon definition, but the word digital has entered our modern lexicon very quickly. As an example, I was running through some features of Dynamics 365 and Office 365 with a very small property management prospect. She nodded and said, so this is a product that helps you be more organized and productive and started to dismiss it as anything of priority urgency until I talked about the social part of Dynamics 365, at which point she got excited, burst out and said, so it's a digital solution. 
In her mind, social media is digital. And that is why we're having this segment on each of these podcasts to explore various aspects of what digital solutions are. Yeah, and I admit the term is widely talked about and it seems the word digital is everywhere. So what is Microsoft's view of digital solutions? Andrew, before we get to that, let me put you on the spot. What do you think digital solutions are? Well, for me, really, it could be anything involving technology. But what about Microsoft's view of digital solutions? Well, Microsoft is starting to organize their marketing materials around digital transformation, which to them basically has four pieces to it. Engage customers, empower employees, optimize operations, and transform products and services. I actually think that this is an excellent start at understanding what comprises digital solutions. You have some key elements of a digital solution suggested, connectedness and integration, a new level of productivity and efficiency, a change in what the product really is and how it's really delivered, and finally, speed. By the way, we will have a couple of blogs coming out shortly after this podcast to really drill down on some of these concepts in more detail. Okay, I think there's a decent start on understanding this. Next time, we'll go through Microsoft software components for this. And after this short break, it's our feature product review, Microsoft Teams. Stick around. Time now for our featured product segment, and we're looking at Microsoft Teams today. Joining us to give us a recap on Teams is Doug McLaughlin, VP of Consulting Services at ITK Consulting. Doug, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andrew. How's it going? Oh, not too bad. A pretty good morning so far. How's yours? Yeah, great. Thanks. Excellent. So give us a bit of a recap on Teams, and what is it and what does it do? Yeah, it's a great question, Andrew. Uh, Microsoft Teams is ostensibly Microsoft's collaboration platform. It gets compared to products like Slack or HipChat, uh, you know, team messaging, communication. But I think really its core strength is that it's really a hub for accessing and sharing all of your documents, applications, and the connecting with the people in your organization. So David, what is the bottom line on Teams? To me, it's a strong buy despite a few operational problems. Doug, do you agree? Yeah, I completely agree, David. It's changed the way we're working at ITK, and we're starting to strongly recommend it to our clients. Now, Doug, why did you pick your bottom line? I think there's a lot of reasons, but if I had to summarize, it's really the integration, the strength of um, the product in integrating into the rest of the Microsoft ecosystem, Office 365, Office uh, uh, 365 Groups, OneNote, Planner, and even third-party apps like Trello and, and others. David, what do you think? Yeah, I agree, Doug. Um, I love its integration. I love the breadth of the different applications it brings under its umbrella. And I also love what it does in the background, like setting up SharePoint things in in Office groups. Um, Provided you set up the teams and the channels correctly, uh, to me, it's, it, it, it becomes, it's actually becoming the number one app I use even more than my browser. Um, Now, we used to be a Slack user, and I liked Slack, but this is, as you've said already, it's fundamentally changed uh, the way that we we work. Um, I'm the type of person who has a whole bunch of balls in the air, and it allows, it it basically, it it organizes me so that 
if I'm working with people on client projects, everything's organized. If it's internal projects, everything's organized. I know exactly where to go. Even business functions. So if it's a recruiting function or a training function or a business planning function, everything that you want is all organized according to the team and channel metaphor. Excellent. So taking on to that, what are its strengths? I think its strengths are the fact that it provides a great new way of working. The core of it, I like individual chats and then the teams and then the teams pull everything that you need, whether it's conversations, it's files and SharePoint access. It's actually allowed me to use OneNote much, much more productively. I know it fits in so much better. Planner, and other little specialized apps like Trello, although I like Planner better simply because it's integrated in, or we've started using Streams, etc. Yeah, I agree with everything you said there, David. I think for me, um, it really is like the, you know, the um, the flight deck or the cockpit for running your day and running the running the business. Um, you can dip into different teams and channels, see what's going on, uh, get a sense of what people are working on, uh, share an article, have quick access to documents, uh, jump into a planner board, assign a task, or see what your next thing is. Uh, it really is becoming sort of a, the hub of, of the way I run my day. Interesting. So, Doug, what do you see as its weaknesses? I think, uh, I mean, the one that gets mentioned all the time, Andrew, is the fact that you can't yet uh, collaborate with people outside your organization. They have to have a license, you know, for your uh, your office or your, your Office 365 tenant. Um, but that's coming. They say this summer, I think July, there's going to be guest access. I think the other thing is more a challenge than a weakness, and that's really just kind of figuring out how to really integrate it into your business. There's a lot there, and uh, it does take a while to get uh, to get your head around it all. Uh, I agree. I mean, uh, you know, I've had the most operational issues out of uh, out of our company using it, and despite these little annoying things, like o- occasionally it gets your uh, authentication mixed up and so on. Like I said, it's the number one app that I now go to. The lack of external people it doesn't bother me as much because let's face it, if we really need them in there, we can actually just give them access to a, an office, you know, uh, license. Um, and most of the other things that I think about are actually Office 365 or its product weaknesses. Like I want more features in Planner, but that's not a fault of uh, Teams. Just before we move on, I got to add that I love the ability to multitask on multiple things, such as having a group chat while editing a document in OneNote. Also, with OneNote, anyone in your team can make edits on the fly. So, David, in what business settings can we see it being most effectively used? Well, I want to say that any business organization where collaboration and teamwork is the most important thing. So any kind of project-based work, whether that's consulting work, any kind of project, um, internal projects, anything that's work group based again i see that for you know call centers customer care things and so on uh, to me anything where you need a metaphor to pull all the documents the plans the conversations uh, the documentation together um it's it's uh it's that's what it's for yeah, I agree with that. And I would say, you know, uh, I think our use of email within the company has dropped dramatically as a result, right? We're we're on there uh, sharing chats, we're sharing documents. The documents, you know, go into um, the SharePoint document repositories where they're easily discoverable. We're not getting versions confused. Um, it's just making all of the features that Office 365 
has all, you know, even better, more accessible, um, lower friction for use. David, any final thoughts? Yeah, I think I just want to anchor this down that this is a strong buy to us. We, we strongly recommend it. I've been out talking to several clients and prospects about it. Um, I haven't been this enthusiastic about a new product for some time. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. Coming up, lessons from the front line. Now for a segment called Lessons from the Frontline. David, what client experience do you have for us? Well, Andrew, we were doing an, a small upgrade for one client, and um, we decided that uh, in doing that, that we, we'd also take them from CRN Online to the newer, which is still online, Dynamics 365. We thought that it would be a breeze and that we'd just do that before we got on to uh, upgrading their features and functions, but there were a few more issues uh, than we were expecting. Uh, Doug, who was the uh, project manager on that uh, assignment, can give us kind of some details. What went right and what went wrong, Doug, at, at the high level? Yeah, uh, it was a fairly simple um, upgrade, I guess. You know, a fairly standard CRM, not a ton of um, customization, no uh, no plugins, very little JavaScript, that kind of thing. Um, I would say the actual upgrade process went quite well. It was an you know an in place upgrade where you just take the 2016 solution and you schedule the upgrade with Microsoft and it runs and you know leaves all your data in place and um, upgrades you to Dynamics 365. Um, so you know overall that went quite well. But uh, in the ensuing uh, weeks afterwards, as we are trying to actually do feature upgrades and some configuration upgrades, we ran into some problems. Is that not uh, correct? Yeah, that's right, David. We, um, we, we actually had done sort of a dry run. We um, took a non-production instance before we did the upgrade, and we took it through the same process. And that went well, uh, just like when we did the production. But we did find um, some things that we didn't find in our non-production instance, in our test instance, that we did find when we did the production instance, which was a little strange. But, uh, for example, we ran into some problems with the business process flows on uh, opportunities and a couple of other entities uh, where sometimes they would just not show on some records. And that was something that, uh, you know, we did a lot of investigation into and we ended up having to put a ticket in uh, to Microsoft on that one. Right. Oh, that's, uh, that's odd. Elsa Karani, who is one of our implementation consultants on this project, really bore the brunt of many of the Microsoft issues being out there uh, uh, most days. Elsa, what specific types of things uh, were happening Hi, David. Um, as Doug mentioned already, the two main issues that we experienced were around business rules and business process flows. So with the new dynamic upgrade, business rules now utilize the visual process designer. And although it seems like an improvement, this does cause a few issues. Because now as you're building out the new rule and adding additional conditions and actions, you actually see a text definition representation of your logic. And as your business rule is being built out, you can see the logic grow over time. This is not really an improvement as now it does take a few minutes to create few minutes to create a business rule, what took like 30 seconds before now takes five minutes for a simple business rules. And the biggest issue with Dynamic 365 upgrade was in the past you were able to set default values for fields, 
but now all of those business rules have become dysfunctional. So you have to open them and actually set a condition for them in order for them to work. Otherwise, none of your business rules would run. The other issue was around business process flows. And as Doug mentioned, they were not working properly or being started for records. And I had to contact Microsoft and spend a good few hours trying to resolve them. And um, was Microsoft fairly responsive in getting to this? Well, as usual, Microsoft technical reps are trying to be as helpful as possible, but it seems like there was a bug within um, Dynamic 365. And the gentleman notified me that developers are definitely working on solving, resolving this issue. In the meantime, I had to make all the fixes manually one by one. So really a lot, it's mostly to do with, I mean, Doug's uh, already given us uh, an example there where it's really not of that, that comp, complex of uh, an instance, but any th time you're using uh, workflows or business rules or uh, process, any type of process things with the new engine, that seems to be the, the source of the problems. Is that right, uh, Elsa? Yes, absolutely. My biggest problem um, implementing solution is that I can't create business rules. I mean, normally every entity has around 10 or 15 business rules behind it. And having to reset all of them and setting a condition for all the default fields, it takes forever. Right. Okay. So, Doug, what should Dynamics uh, CRM online clients uh, who, if they haven't done so already, and most of them don't or haven't yet, I believe, um, they're facing an upgrade to Dynamics 365 by the end of the year. What, what lessons should they take from all of this? Well, I think the main one, David, you know, that we took away from this was test, test, and retest. Um, we thought we had done a good job of testing, and we really hadn't done enough. Um, you know, the upgrade, because the actual upgrade went pretty smoothly, we didn't get any error messages, everything looked okay, but we didn't dig in enough into actually taking, you know, some use cases and running them through the full life cycle of the application to make sure that absolutely everything was okay. And then the other thing that's related to that, I would say, is, you know, we, we did have staff on site, uh, you know, uh, we did a cutover on the weekend, the Microsoft upgrade ran, I think on a Friday evening, we did a little bit of checking on the Saturday, Sunday, uh, and then uh, when the business came in on Monday to work, we made sure that we had all hands on deck on site. And uh, I think that's critical, and I think you need to plan to be there longer than you think you're going to be, just to make sure that you can handhold people through, that you're there with fresh eyes to see problems, etc. Okay, thanks very much to uh, Doug and Elsa. Uh, Andrew, there you have it from our uh, first uh, lesson from the front line, that even simple changes to dynamics need to be properly planned and tested. I think we're going to put together a little checklist um, that we'll be uh, putting out on Twitter uh, by the end of the week. Sounds great. Well, thank you so much, guys. And we'll be right back to do some mini reviews in just a moment. Now it's time to go through a couple of high-level reviews on some of the Microsoft products. And David, there's so many to choose from. So what are we looking at today? Well, Andrew, we're going to look at two, Microsoft Flow and Microsoft Power Apps. They're two of the newer products aimed at what Microsoft are increasingly referring to as citizen dev. Last summer, they came out with a uh, Flow, Power Apps, and the Common Data model at the time, now called Common Data Service. And it's intended for power users who can add real value to an application without needing a developer. Now, this is a trend that they're doing 
both inside and out of the Dynamics environment. So as a company, we have uh, more experience with Microsoft Flow than Microsoft Power Apps, but we still think that we need to give people some insight as to what to do with these tools. On our site, what we're trying to do is grade everything, whether it's speculate, buy, sell, or hold, just as if it was a stock. So on Microsoft Flow, our rating is that it's a buy, that provided that you're using it for what it's intended, it's an excellent product that you can use routinely now. So now we're just gonna ask uh, uh, Doug and Elsa their opinions. Uh, they've both been working with Flow. Doug, what's your opinion of it? Hi, David. Yeah, I really like Flow quite a bit. Uh, Elsa and I both attended some training uh, a few weeks back uh, with Microsoft that uh, that introduced Flow and uh, took us through some use cases. Um, we've been uh, sort of trying it in a few scenarios. And for those that aren't familiar with Flow, it's basically a task automation technology similar to Zapier or uh, IFTTT. Um, that lets you sort of uh, couple, you know, disparate services and technologies. So types of things where you can, you know, take data from one system and send it into another or um, have something like an email uh, trigger an event. And um, it's, it's quite nice to work with. I don't think that uh, you need to be a developer. I think as long as you have a little bit of technical skill and you can think logically, uh, it, it's, a very, um, it's a very intuitive app for the most part. So far, we're liking what we see. That's great. Um, Elsa, uh, what's your opinion? You have the same opinion as Doug? For simple integration, it was pretty straightforward, but would not easily work on mobile. Um, we tried working with it from within Power Apps and even for data, and it proved to be very complicated. It's probably great for uh, complete, completing simple tasks, but when you get heavy and deep into it, you find that there's a lot of issues and problems with it. Okay, thanks, uh, Elsa and Doug. On the uh, second of the so-called citizen dev um, products from Microsoft is uh, Power Apps. Now, uh, that's meant to uh, develop mobile-based applications that you can then use for a variety of uh, line of business applications. At least that's what the uh, line is. Um, right now, our bottom line on this is uh, that it's speculate that if you currently are a Microsoft customer, you probably want to you know, crack the covers on it and maybe do some proof of concepts, but uh, it's not ready for prime time. Doug, uh, what was your experience with Power Apps? Yeah, I think that's right, David. I, it's really quite a cool product. And, you know, if, you, if for those that are old enough to remember HyperCard, it has some of that sort of feel to it, uh, you know, the Apple um, development technology. But, um, uh, and for simple things, you know, I think it's it's pretty good. Uh, the one thing I think with uh, with Power Apps and sort of citizen dev in general is um, just because you're not coding doesn't mean you you don't have to think like a developer. And I think for more complicated things, uh, at least based on our experience so far, you still need a lot of the skills uh, of a developer or at least a technical business analyst uh, to get value out of the system yeah that's uh, i think that's probably true because uh, i was talking to uh, uh one of the uh, other implementation partners that we know and he's extremely excited about uh, power apps but he actually says it probably isn't going to be completely ready for prime time until in 2018 Elsa, what, what are your thoughts about uh, power apps so moreover to Doug's opinion, I don't have experience coding. I'm definitely not a developer, but I'm very familiar with Excel formulas. 
And even though they claim to be a no-code solution, creating a Power App can be com extremely complicated for a user with no coding background or someone like me who's very familiar with Excel formulas. The other thing that I was really surprised with Power Apps was that they're not available offline. And the other thing that I noticed was even though you take the time to create an app, it's a closed market and they're only available within your organization. And there's no way to make them available on Apple apps or Google apps where other people can download and purchase them. Those are all great uh, ideas there and great feedback from uh, Doug and Elsa. Thanks very much. Yeah, I love the feedback. So to sum it up, Flow is a buy for sure, but make sure to use it where appropriate. And for Power Apps, the bottom line is speculate. Isn't that right, David? Indeed it is, Andrew. Current Microsoft clients should try it out on some proof of concepts. But hey, we can get another quick mini review from you. You've been putting together some presentations in Sway. How are you finding it? Yes, Sway is a great tool, and it's sort of like the grown-up version of PowerPoint, in my opinion. You're able to create your own template or use any of the starters provided in the beginning, and step-by-step step, you add your title, your body paragraphs, and your pictures. It does take time to get used to. I know most of us are all too familiar with PowerPoint, where you can insert a new slide, create what you want, insert new slide, create, insert, so on and so on. But with Sway, you can completely customize yours just the way you want it. One thing to note though, when you want to click the green plus button and add your heading, text, and a picture, make sure to do it in order so it isn't in different places randomly. And only use the remix button carefully because it can completely change your template. So uh, interesting, what, uh, what types of things could you see it being used for in a business environment? Could you see people doing presentations instead of PowerPoint? I know uh, the thing that I found a bit odd about it is that you can't really have it as a self-contained, you know, so that you could send to people and they could go through it on their own, or at least I found it a bit awkward going through it. So uh, what, what do you see it being used for? Yeah, I agree. When it comes to sharing your presentation, your audience has to get used to your slide going all the way down on one page or horizontally, which is completely new to me. The horizontal feature I wouldn't really use for corporate presentations. But David, I could see it being used for some office presentations if you really wanted to impress your boss, but mostly it'll be used for travel blogs, creative resumes, and summaries. And so what's the bottom line on it? I would say to speculate. Try it for a few things like corporate presentations or blogs and see if it fits in your business organization. Coming up, David's editorial, The Final Thought. Welcome back. Now here is David Crouch's Final Thought. I'm a proud yet relatively recent Microsoft implementation partner. I've chosen this current path after 37 years in the IT consulting industry. Nadella has really reinvigorated Microsoft with a new sense of purpose and direction. And he has also brought them development chops that they never had. I'm excited not only by all of the different tools that Microsoft is releasing, but also their architectural design that allows for growth within a common framework. I also think that their understanding of the direction that business enterprises are going and the IT required to foster and nurture this is the best item. They know what business organizations want and more importantly need 
and they have a great view of what digital means. However, I think in their haste to meet this vision, as the competitive landscape is challenging, they're falling into old, tiresome Microsoft ways in terms of execution. They're announcing products and delivery dates and then not meeting them. They're rolling out products that frankly don't work immediately. They have design flaws, bugs, deployment issues, you name it. They're delivering overlapping products without a coherent view of where they're going. Consider the non-soft-related task, a to-do. This is a staple for anybody getting done in any environment, in your business, personally, socially, etc. People manage their to-dos in all sorts of ways, from scraps of paper to software. Microsoft has them stored everywhere in multiple pieces of software that don't connect and communicate with one another. For instance, there's activities in customer engagement. There's interactions in Dynamics 365 for financials. There's bound to be something else in Dynamics 365 operations, which I'm not familiar with. There's tasks in Outlook. There's different tasks in Planner. There's the deprecated wonder list, and there's the new to-do. What would be brilliant is if they had one engine across all of these domains that links everything you to do, plus the ability to see them in the tool of your choice in the manner you prefer. It would be great if Microsoft slowed down and executed as strongly as they plan and vision, but I don't expect them to. It will be their loss as I expect clients to start saying, as I have many do right now, let's wait for the third release when they have it right. Well, that's a wrap for our first podcast of the Managing Your Microsoft's Digital Solution series, and we hope you learned a thing or two. Our podcast is produced on Salt Spring Island, BC, and our main office and studio is in Vancouver, BC. I'm Andrew Walker, and we'll be back next month. Thanks for listening.